I'm actually really, really bad at mm-hmm. managing people because so much of managing is soothing. Listen, I don't got babies, so I don't even know what that's like. No one's sucking at these I... teeth. <laughs> that's a great line. That's how the show starts. <laughs> that should that's a that's good cold open. That's a good cold open, right? That's there. the cold open. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. Hello. Hi, everybody. How's it going? It's good. How was your shower? My shower was wet. Thanks for asking. Uh, <laughs> had, I, the <laughs> listeners should know Chris texted Trisha and me about 30 minutes before we started to, and said, getting in the shower now. I don't so. know why you feel the need to like let the listeners in on all this stuff. <laughs> I was letting you know because I just wanted to let you know I was going to be on time. That's it. That's all. Jesus, Jason. Anyway. I just think it's funny that for you getting in the shower is a marker that you're like doing like, we're not like your parents. You know what I mean? It's like, like that's a marker that you're doing. I'm good. Don't worry, I'm brushing my teeth. Like it's the kind of thing my kids say to me like, dad, I'm getting in the shower now. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> So, oh my God, How, how's your week been? Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you about my week, first of all. Actually, I'm, I'm not interested in your week. Let me hear this. Okay. I, I'm glad you admit that. Yeah, let's just be real. Earlier this week, I developed a cough. Mm. And I was like, oh shit, here comes 2020. Anyway, I had my first COVID test at the doctor the other day. This is going to be controversial. It wasn't that bad. People, Which one? Did you get the one that goes all the way back up? That's the thing. It doesn't go all the way up. It goes up, but it doesn't like people like it touches your brain. Like you feel it on the base of your eyeball. No, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> I'm not saying I would do it like a party or anything. <laughs> it's just, I've been avoiding doing it for the longest. So I just want to, anyone who's listening or the two of you, don't be afraid of the COVID test. But I haven't got my results back yet though. So I was maybe, about to say, when did you get your results? They're just going to text my phone which is like the worst possible text to get. You have COVID. Well, so, you're not coughing anymore. I mean, that's good. I mean, I haven't, I mean, the three or four minutes that we've been recording this, no, but uh, <laughs> hopefully, I think I'm coming out of it. But the thing is, I can't go back to work until I get this negative COVID test. So I'm back working from home, like quarantine mode, which I did not miss. I kind of like going in. I don't know. Are you both wow. still remote? Yeah, yes. Yes. Absolutely. And loving it. 100%. I always have been anyway, but yeah, I love it. Yeah, I like going in. Like it's get on the subway. I go, I just like not being in my house all day Mm. and, you know, putting on underwear and and pants. That's also. (laughs) Thanks for that visual. I'm just saying, I never thought I would miss underwear, but. (laughs) I'm in my pajamas all day long. I thought you meant you were naked because you're like, like. I mean, I actually get up, I take a shower, and I get dressed. Oh, like you pretend like it's real. Like <laughs> I mean, I mean, like you know, I have I have nice tops and I have shorts. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I don't pretend that I'm not. It's funny. I mean, I guess it's because it's my routine. So I go get dressed, have a coffee, and sit down at my desk, and then begin my day. Wow! I wake up like if my alarm goes off at seven twenty, I'm working by seven twenty two. I'm a, I'm a morning, I roll right, right the fuck out of bed. Well, quiet directly is to the computer. 
quiet as it's kept, I'm far more productive now than I've ever been. And I actually quite resent it. I think a lot of people are. <laughs> I think a lot of, resent it. I think I a lot of people great. feel exactly the same way, Trisha. I think people are far more, um, far more productive. We were just, I was just planning a meeting with a group of people working on a project. And in, in real life, the meeting that we have annually is about four or five hours long. But on Zoom, we were like, oh, we're only gonna do it for two hours. One, because of fatigue, but also two, we were like, you know what? The truth is a lot of time is wasted in person, like with side conversations and bathroom breaks and whatnot, mm -hmm. whatnot. Like on Zoom, you can just be like, bam, 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 bam. All right, everyone, bye. Which People is, I think, partially due to the, which is why I think what leads to the Zoom exhaustion. It's intense. It, it is intense. intense. It's deeply it intense. intense for yeah. a set, a period of time. And you aren't looking at people that much in real life. No, I don't. <laughs> like if the three of us are having this conversation, I'm not staring deeply into all of your eyes all the time as I am in this situation. Like it's yeah. just really, I don't know, it feels really intimate sometimes, especially yeah. people you don't know and you're, you're not you're minding your P's and Q's. It feels very intimate suddenly. They're just staring at you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone done anything else interesting um, other than me getting a thing up my nose? So I went out to meet some friends. In real life? Real life, outside. Mm -hmm. You know, masks, sanitizers, the whole thing. You know how the, you know, I told you all these restaurants transform their spaces into um, the parking garage into the actual site. So it was like a massive parking garage that now just have lights up and they actually project uh, on one of the walls. And so I was just, it was like, it had that beer garden vibe that we used to go to in Astoria. Wait, what, what did they project? They were projecting the baseball game, but I think oh, it could project okay. anything on yeah. the wall, uh, which cool. I thought was kind of cool. I mean, That's I was cool. like, you know, it was just, it was, it was very chilly, unfortunately, but I was just like, oh, I really where, inside. Hmm? Where in the city? It was in Studio City. See, <laughs> see that kind of thing downtown though, would have been frustrating. I mean, just because like an LA is a little bit more spread out. Yeah. And Studio City for sure is a little less urban. Yeah. But like, I don't know if you saw my picture on Instagram of like, there's this crowded fine, otherwise. Yeah. This fine dining place in Tribeca. They were laying, laying out their tables with the cloth, tablecloths. You see this picture? And right next to them is a giant pile of trash. <laughs> Someone threw out a whole desk. <laughs> there's like all these black garbage bags. And I'm like, what, who? <laughs> I no, 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 I'm really leading into this whole, you know, be safe outside thing. And so I'm taking advantage of that because I'm really aware that we're about to go on lockdown in terms of the winter and cold months. And I'm just going to soak up as much outside time as I could possibly do. What about you, Jason? Actually, it's interesting. A colleague of mine was on maternity leave over the summer and so I, you know, took on some of her responsibilities. It wasn't a big deal, but she very generously gave me a hundred hour gift card to a nice restaurant. And so I went with my wife and sister-in-law and we did eat indoors. There was no what? one there. I mean, it's a big restaurant. There were maybe three tables occupied. So, I mean, it was, I felt perfectly secure, but it was like, it was nice and the food was good. And I don't know, it was just different. With the winter months coming and all our slate of, of, American holidays crashing in in like a three month period. How are you going to be affected by all this? Like as far as like Halloween, 
which whatever me and Trisha are adults without kids. So whatever the fuck that's your problem, Jason, but like Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, what are you both doing for those things? And new year's if new year's oh, stopped wow. being a thing for me a while back, but like, what do you think I mean, for me, this do? stuff, what are you doing? And what do you think people will be doing? So, so this is where I feel a little spoiled. I haven't thought a lot about it, but you know, there's six of us here. Right. So I feel kind of blessed, right? Like we can have a holiday meal and it doesn't feel completely alien. Um, I don't know that we'll do much beyond that, but I think that, you know, that will be, I think, fulfilling. Mm -hmm. I do. I mean, I'm guessing there will be a lot of people that just risk it. Right. And then there will, on the other end of the spectrum, there'll be a lot of people who are doing it alone. It's going to be tough. Trisha, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking, I mean, for the first time, I sort of had a pang with my sister because I said, should we fly home? You know, I feel like I really want to see our moms and our, our mom. And I was just like, I think I want to fly home. And um, But I think my mom also doesn't. I don't want to risk my mom's health either. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of this weird, like, I feel like the um, the lack that this whole moment has um, created for us is going to be more apparent during the mm-hmm. holidays. Yeah. I really do. And I think it's going to, I want us to have, I mean, just because we have not dealt with this crisis very well overall, I wish that we would have a strategy for the holidays, like some real concrete things to offer people up so that they, that's mindful of the fact that it's going to be, there might be some mental health crises around it. Like I just, I want some really thoughtful opportunities yeah. for us to do this well. It's going to be a I dark time it's for a lot be of isolating. Mm-hmm. I think right? you're right. I, I, yeah, I think yeah. for sure it's going to be a really dark holiday for a lot of people, especially like Thanksgiving, the busiest travel holiday in America. It's like people are going to be at home trying to figure out how to cook on their own, starting fires. Um, <laughs> There's that. You laugh. You <laughs> laugh. But you know what? I bet there's going to be quite a fire set by many a millennial who's going to try and figure out how to like flash deep, fry a deep turkey fry, or something. Deep fry a turkey. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know what? The other thing I'm thinking about is I kind of, I mean, I've been trying to read about places and how people are optimizing um, COVID and stuff. And I kind of want people, I want us to do a better job of that. Like, should we be sure. telling people how to possibly, you know, like the San Gennaro festival, I guess mm-hmm. they usually have in a, like, can you have like open air things? Like, what are we going to do? Like, I think you can tell people those kinds of stuff. Like, it's okay if you do that. What are the risks? So eh. you don't have to isolate. Like, we just don't do that. If kind people of have been better behaved, I'm afraid that like the San Gennaro festival, you and I have been to that. It's, it's wall to wall people on, on, and on the street, like if people had been better behaved in the beginning, then we could have done those things. But I think we're way past that. We can't trust people to take care of each other. So, I mean, even like something like that, I don't think you could do it. I'm sorry. All the parades got canceled in New York City and I thought that was a great idea. There's just no safe way to do it. There's just too many people. And like, like I said, nobody's doing what they need to do. So. so what are you going to do for, th- um, so, I mean, for, but I do think that parents are worried about um, Halloween though. I think parents want to create an experience for their children around Halloween. I, I mean, Good first luck. of all, I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before. I hate Halloween. So, <laughs> um, you know, give the kids a ton of sugar and scare the shit out of them. It's not, not my idea of a good holiday. 
so um, you know, we can do costumes in the house and take pictures or whatever. Uh, but I don't know. I'm not that trouble. I am sorry that we're not going to hear tales from your annual get together with the other straight dads and you guys. While the women are out oh, doing that's women, right. women folk work, you all <laughs> sit around and chomp on cigars and be toxically masculine for no reason. I'm going to miss that tale. It's the only time I do it. It's once a year, Chris. Let me have it. Let me have it. One but you know what? Here, toxic masculinity. I think we could have. I think we could have Zoom costume parades. Yeah. No. Okay. You know what? Okay. <laughs> Get ready. Get ready. You know what? Stop trying to do everything on Zoom. It's not going to happen. I don't want to do well, Zoom costume parades. People will do it. I'm sure people will do it. Are we going to do it on the phone? Listen. Can we? Okay. Can I? I'm just going to call you. I'm just going to call you out on it. What are the gays doing? Tell us. <laughs> First of all, what are, your, what are your people doing, Chris? Tell us about what your people are doing. I don't do. know what the gays are doing. It's, <laughs> honey, listen. There's an infamous, there's an infamous Halloween parade. That I don't know. Happen, it, right? The gays are going to do what they're always doing. They're going to get on Instagram and whatever. <laughs> You know, with, with, I mean, isn't TikTok just a Halloween parade when you think about it? Like, I don't know awesome. if we need any more. So no, it, what I want though is I want to have a I want I think we can have really I think we can have fun with this. I think we could just think about it in a different way. Maybe not a Zoom costume party, but we could we could actually theoretically enjoy this in a in a in a different put a different spin on it. <laughs> you know, knock yourself out. I I think uh <laughs> it gives me no time. I think I think Halloween's going to be difficult for parents and kids. I know there's a lot of people who are trying to be really thoughtful about how they're going to do it. Put the, if you live in such a place where you can put the candy out on the porch or people have created like looked into creating like a barrier so they can like stick their hand through a slot and dump candy on oh, kids. Oh, that's too stuff. much. Like, you can't Listen, you know, Halloween kids. is some people's favorite holiday, like sad, lonely people, yes. but they're there. <laughs> so they're going to try and figure out a way. Uh, okay, great. So <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on from Halloween. Uh, I, you know, I'm not a big Halloween fan. I don't know if anyone picked that up from anything I just said, but I just wanted to state that. You don't sound very invested. I don't care. I don't care. It's the kind of thing that I cared about when I was a kid because I right. got candy, but now I got to buy the candy and give it away. <laughs> not interested. <laughs> just not interested. All right. So we're going to move on to our first topic. Two weeks ago, there was the first presidential debate, which, yep. That, that happened. Then there was the vice presidential debate, which, sure, which begs the question, debates, what are they good for? What, why do we do them? You know, when we think of presidential debates, we think about the Lincoln-Douglas debates, which are famous for their rules, their attendance, and their length. Did you know, like, like Lincoln would say something for like an hour and a half, then Douglas would have an hour to rebut. Wow. Then Lincoln would get an additional like 30 minutes to rebut the rebuttal. Then they'd move on to the next topic. Thousands of people would show up for these debates and it would be so Amazing. long that they'd have to give people a break to go home to, for lunch. And then they all came back to do more. Of they were at least checking their email on their phones. Right? Like, <laughs> oh, absolutely. In the 19th century. Sit there. Huge, 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 huge. <laughs> the thing is we think about those as like, oh, debates, like this has been going on for a long time, but Little known fact, those debates were for the Senate seat in Illinois. Presidential debates are very recent, starting in the 1960s, and it's a flashy way for candidates to appeal to the public, especially donors, and to excite voters. The question 
that I have is this. In this time of oversaturation of media, information, and misinformation, are debates even still a thing? What purpose do they serve? Who's benefiting from them? Is there another format that might meet whatever the goals are? Trisha, what do you think? I mean, now that you've told me about the Lincoln and Douglas debates in terms of time, which I remember, that's probably one of the few things they covered in high school consistently. I mean, I really, I'm like having a fantasy moment about that. I can't imagine spending an hour informing me about your various takes on a particular issue. Full confession, didn't watch the debate because I don't actually find them valuable. I, I felt like I woke up the very next day in a better mood having not watched the debate. I'm sure that's true. Um, and so, no doubt. And um, from the commentary and from all of the things that I read um, after the debate, you know, remember back in the day, you used to be able to assign debates as like a civic exercise, like a civic education exercise to students. And that turned out to be horrific for teachers. They couldn't deconstruct what happened. And so that tells me there's just not much content in the debate anymore. And so I... I frankly don't actually see what the value of them is, to be honest, because, yes, I think in my mind, what you have now is probably free advertising. You basically guaranteed someone an hour, 90 minutes of free advertising to basically pitch themselves to you. Mm -hmm. It's not a, it's not a moderated pitch. Like you could basically stand there and lie to my face and no one will push back on anything you've said it's, it is exactly like advertising. It is exactly like an ad, an ad where no one is challenging you in the middle of it. I just don't find it very valuable as a process right now. And I actually think it's outlived its usefulness. If it's about informing the public about a politician's particular stance on a particular issue, I just think, I don't think the debate format is the right one anymore. Jason? Well, I totally agree with, with everything you said. I did watch them. They did put me in a bad mood. I was in a bad mood the whole next day after the presidential one. And I usually like to pride myself on not being all that emotional about things like this, but I was, I was in a terrible mood. The one thing in this current environment, as you were saying, Chris, where there's so many different sources of information and misinformation that all of us are seeing and we don't have any common like, hey, everyone watched this event or saw this news. The fact that like a significant number of people across political spectra and across the country did see the same thing be, that is the debate. I wish we had something like that. I totally agree with you that them just going through their talking points and interrupting each other is not, we're not getting information. What I wish, and I don't have the answer, but the ingredients that I would like to see or what I'd like to take and then make real is that opportunity. Like, what is a source of information that you could actually put in front of a broad swath of the country to look at together and be an opportunity for conversation? And I can't think of what else it is. I mean, because it's the candidates themselves and not, and because it's not, you know, modulated through journalists, which is but the problem, but it's also why so many different people would be willing to watch it. I, I don't know how to do it, but I just wish we could find some way to get all of us or a big group of us watching some event related to an election that we can then discuss and have some common source of information about. Sure. 
But aren't we doing that already? You start off by saying like, there's so much information that we're all privy to. I think that's the difference now versus like back in the eighties when um, in previous debates, you know, back then it wasn't often that the candidates could directly address each other. It was through journalists. They were talking about the other party when they weren't there. It was uh, on their own ads or their own statements and interviews. There just wasn't a lot of opportunity for that kind of crosstalk. In this world of social media, of Twitter, of all these other avenues available, it's like the candidates are talking to each other and they are in conversation all the time. Now, this goes back to my initial question. Debates, what are they even for? It's not clear to me that in this era that the debate still matters that much. You know, it used to be very consequential. The first presidential debate was between Kennedy and Nixon. Nixon was underweight, refused to wear makeup, looked terrible, and lost the election. And people credit that debate with giving Kennedy the win, which I think is an overstatement, but whatever, I wasn't there. Do you realize that like debates haven't really moved the needle for anyone in like the past 20 years? If this is about delivering information to voters or giving everyone that single unifying common experience for the purpose of delivering information or changing minds, it's just kind of not working. So why bother? Like, are there not better tools to do whatever it is that candidates want to do, which I presume is whip up excitement and get more donors? The notion of a debate is that I'm open, I'm open enough to have my mind changed, right? That's the whole idea behind it. It's like, you're going to introduce me to ideas about who you are such that I can make up my mind. But at no point in time, do at least I don't. And I, I want to, I want to be a generous person and say that I really understand undecided voters, but I don't understand undecided voters. Not, so, not anymore. Yeah, exactly. Not, not with the stark contrast we have now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So theoretically, the idea is that everyone should be slightly undecided and then you can sit down and be convinced. What are you going to be convinced by? Like, I, I think, and I don't, I mean, I completely get the idea of having a unifying event. I think that that's the power that traditionally you come to with um, experiences like this. Because what we're reacting to is the fact that we're all in silos in some ways, right? We're in silos yes. of information and information yes. bubbles, whichever one you're in, a wrong one or a right one, whatever you've decided, you're in a bubble. Mm-hmm. And so the presumption is that you this is your opportunity to get outside of a bubble. Now, that has value. But the question that you raised, Jason, is how do you get someone to actually offer you something valuable while you're outside of your bubble? That's so the information still remains bu- embubbled, right? Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. Right. That's right. So what's the point? Like, so that's the thing. Do we want information or do we want spectacle? I remember watching the debate in 92, Ross Perot. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. there were three people the in the charts? debate. What's the that? Charts. Yeah, with the charts. The easy with the, yeah. <laughs> Love a good I chart. remember watching that being like, wow, this is so exciting. I mean, one, it was historic. But also I was like, okay, this is like, it was a chance for Ross Perot to get information out there. This just doesn't happen so much anymore. All the information's available. Mm-hmm. You realize that Ross Perot's charts now would just be available as a PowerPoint deck you can download? Sure. It wouldn't be delivered to the country all at once. Okay, so I have an idea. Okay. 
What if instead of a debate is you place the candidates into situational crises? Uh, like a reality <laughs> show? A play? No, not a reality <laughs> like show. Like I'm a presidential candidate, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. A, not a military quite. exercise, it sounds not like. Quite. But in, you know, in theory, what you want is you want an opportunity to access that person and imagine them in the role. So how do you create scenarios for an audience such that you have that, right? Like, so maybe it's actually not even like a reporter, but it's like, hello, we have on the call the president of so-and-so. What question do you have for our presidential nominee about blah 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 like it's like it'd be interesting to have the person react to you want actual... an aptitude test a little bit that's i that's would love cool. an aptitude test oh I that mean, would be great not like i mean not like a test like you know they give to black people so we we don't vote but more just like how do we assess someone like i think this is the thing right people people get up there and they said i just haven't heard what i need to hear i just i mean i want to be convinced in a certain way so which is feels, laughable in today's environment yeah right? i mean laughable. it feels it feels laughable but to some degree people are holding on to an old idea of a debate so then how do you refresh it for this current moment there is a sense of like how do you respond to a crisis like what is the um how do you drum up support for an issue that you really care about? Like, there feel it feels like that's what you want. I just don't think we need a moderator. That is a losing bet. None of these moderators have been effective. And so, but what does and that also mean? The- I, I need more definition of terms, value. What's the value proposition, and what does an effective moderator look like? What are we okay, really trying so to extract? Part of it is like, listen, clearly they didn't have a moderator at the Lincoln Douglas debate because people were going on for hours. So part of it is maybe you're making your pitch for a half hour. Maybe it's not back and forth. Like the Lincoln Douglas debates. You get to talk for 90 minutes or an hour. You're talking for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. The other person knows they're talking for 20 minutes and you really cut them off. You actually go to commercial at 20 minutes. So if you don't get what you want to get done, it's done. So you talk for 20 minutes. You also get the option of speaking for 20 more minutes. The other per- candidate speaks for 20 more minutes, not in reaction to, because they barely are doing that now anyway. You talk for 20 minutes. I talk for 20 minutes. And then the reporter or the moderator deconstructs what you've just said for the audience. Sir, you said blah, 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 but that's actually not true. And it's actually a back and forth between you and the reporter, not the other candidate. I love it. I would tune in. And you know what? Like the two moderators, and I agree, they were ineffective, but I actually think those are two journalists that when I've heard them, like I think they're respectable journalists, like I'd much rather them doing what you're saying, which is let the candidates talk, let them say their whole piece, and then challenge them on what they say that's a discrepancy with what they've said before, you know, and as you said, what they said, that's not true. Like, I love it. I'll watch. I like the idea. Also, I like the idea of like an aptitude test. (laughs) How you do that? Not so much like aptitude, but I think you could sit and not with the other person present, but you sit down with a candidate. I'd like a long form interview where the interviewer is very challenging and inquisitive. If you sat down with like a candidate and said, okay, um, walk me through your idea of what you're going to do for middle-class Americans. And like, oh, we're going to raise taxes here and cut taxes. The journalist needs to be on their game and says like, you know, sir uh, or ma'am, 
when you say that, it would have these repercussions on the country. How might you react to the idea that if we do raise taxes here, that these jobs are going to be lost? What would be your plan for that? And challenge them in that way and be like, okay, well, given that, then this, the other thing. And then ask the other candidate the exact same questions. And they're not in crosstalk. I just don't know why they need to debate each other. Each other. Because they're not. They're not. Because the value is, because I'm like, the value of this is that, okay, I'm hiring you to lead the country. I need to know what you want to do. I need to be able to hear what you're going to do. I need to be able, I need a third party to check you on your plans, at least someone who knows more than me to sort of be my proxy in the conversation. But when you have the two of them screaming at each other, like there is no proxy. And at the end of it, there's no new information that you receive. I mean, that's certainly true of these debates. Even, you know, people like Kamala Harris and Mike Pence were more civil and it was all, it was like um, being transported to a back in time, like eight, 10 years before Donald Trump, when we could have these conversations, I was like, well, not for nothing. The two of them said nothing. Pence lied the entire time and Kamala dodged the entire time. So at the end of the day, there was no new information. I don't know why we bothered. Uh, so I would, I like this idea that we're brewing up, Trisha. Like, I, I like your idea, like sit them down and, you know, it is an aptitude test. Be like, what would you do? Like, okay, the the, you know, the prime minister of Israel calls you, there's food riots. What are you going to do? How are you going to position America to help or not help them with that? And then whatever that response is, just keep carrying through with that hypothetical. Do you remember those quiz shows where you had to get into a huddle and the president can <laughs> Family turn, feud? The, no, the nom- no, no, the nominee can turn to his huddling team of advisors. What do I think about this <laughs> I mean, that, that's actually helpful too. That's I wouldn't real. mind that. Yeah, that's real. I wouldn't <laughs> mind that. That's real. Like, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't rest all on them. I think that would be interesting. And then like, if, if you see they're getting bad advice, you're like, well, I don't want this guy in the White House. Jason, uh, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, and this will add something else, which means it's even less likely because no one has the attention span for this. I want like a panel of experts, like not even going back and forth with them, just like what's the post analysis. And I know like lots of different outlets do it, but I'd want like a diverse panel of experts, like, you know, them picking apart what the candidates said, what they put forward. Like, I'd want to hear that analysis. I mean, I like what we're proposing, but even in what we're proposing, you know, the candidates, I'm sorry, I sound so cynical. I hate saying this, but they're still going to spew their talking points and Yeah, they're still going to BS. You're right. Exactly. I mean, and that's the tricky piece, right? Because the tricky assumption is that more people will watch an actual debate or interaction between the candidates than the follow-up analysis. Yeah. Unless that analysis adds real value. And then, you know, good luck if it does. Yeah. But also, I mean, maybe we get the debates we deserve. Oh, we do. I I think we do. Yeah. I mean, is that harsh? I mean, the debates... I would say the debates since 92 have been reality TV in the sense that they're there to entertain, right? I tuned into those debates to end the vice presidential debate because I was like, this is going to be a shit show. What the fuck is going to happen? That's why I was there. And I think that's where we've all been. And the, the apex of that arc was the presidential debate two weeks ago, which where you had a reality show contestant debate a politician, debate scream at a politician for 90 minutes. So if that's where we're at, then maybe we have to upset the entire apple cart. The, the problem with the thing that we are suggesting is that a panel of experts, like a journalist, because news information is so siloed, 
you can get anyone to say anything and people will people get on the news and say anything all kinds of crazy things. you know uh, what was it <laughs> who was the trump that no one likes eric trump right he's the know. tall goofy blonde one yes and he's got so many kids from so different many different women i can't keep track anyway um he got on tv and was like oh yeah the lgbtq population shows up for my father wherever he goes they're huge supporters and the fox people were just gobbling it up and i was like that's patently untrue but it doesn't matter so i mean that's the thing it'd be very interesting i think what we're proposing is from a more innocent time where we viewed news as neutral which i mean we're definitely more innocent because news has never been neutral but news has become hyper polarized What's an optimal use of this ma- of this current moment then? If it's performance, then what do you want for your performance? Not this though, because this is unbearable performance. Because I, you know, one of the reasons why I also didn't watch was because I remember thinking to myself that Hillary had won the debates and it made no difference. Oh God. Like, yeah, debates don't move the needle won. anymore. No, they don't move yeah. the needle. It was like when people said Kamala was going to win the debates. And I was like, what would that matter? Like, it's not winning in the sense that you're demonstrating right. your smarts or your People said she did win. And I was like, so? What is that? Do you know what I mean? So a situation where it's about where winning doesn't really matter. And I listen, I'm not a big win winner takes all kind of mentality. But then what is the point then of the interaction? And so like, what's a way to optimize this moment then in, a, in putting together arrivals? Let's call it that. Just, just, do, a, just do a 90 minute infomercial. They, each, they used to do that. I remember Perot did that. Just go on, just buy ad time on a TV and you have the 60 minute, you just do the Biden show and you have fun graphics about what you're going to do for the country, your plans for infrastructure, blah, blah, blah. And then people can pick that apart. It's a static thing that people can be like, this is true. This is false. You know, this was incorrect. This, and it stands on its own. The debate is so I like that. fast flowing and useless. Nobody watches that though. Listen, if if nobody, if we want the drama, then there's plenty of reality TV shows. I just don't know. I don't need my presidential candidates involved in drama. That's one thing I'm learning. I've been learning the last four years, but specifically in the last week. (laughs) Uh, I prefer less drama from people who can like control the fate of the country. Well, that's a, that's a fundamental question that I've thought about, which even if our debates were substantive, does doing well in a debate mean you're going to be a good president? Does doing poorly in a debate mean you're not going to be? Like, not really. I, I'd what imagine the people who'd be great as a debater who would not handle well being commander in chief and well, vice is, versa. What does doing well versus doing poorly look like? Does it, I mean, doing well, you don't piss your pants on stage? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what doing well, well means anymore. Why we what are you getting make, across? Well, this is why we need to make it performance. I need it is it a performance. Like, I, need it, I need you to skip over a rock 10 times. How fast can you do it? Can we do it with speed? And can we do it, you know, like the amazing American, race, amazing but just race. the candidates. No, but listen, I don't, I don't want to see what I'm about to say, but there are competitive debates in our country. You could do a debate with scoring. I don't think they would ever agree to it, but you could do that. Oh now, again, gosh, I would still I say, if you win, does that mean you're going to be a good president? Which not is, necessarily. This is a good oh, point. Go ahead, Trisha. I just had a perfect idea about it with scoring. You remember when you're watching uh, when you're watching any kind of competition and you get you check the pulse of the audience? Why don't we just which I'm about to suggest something that is horrendous? Please take Can it back. I suggest as soon a running man it. situation where we all vote in real time. Yes. Okay. I'm gonna be. I love this answer, and the person says, "Hate that answer," and you can tell the score at the bottom of the screen. Red in real I'm, time. In real time. I'm so sorry, sir. 
audience. <laughs> You've been canceled from the from the running. <laughs> Not even, but the audience at home didn't like your answer. Would you like? <laughs> yeah, would you like to change it? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, do, and then I'm not like, engaging in this. And no. you like you do a rebuttal, and it's like because that's the thing, right? You're pressure testing, and it's like why not just actually pressure test? I like that. Saying like I mean, it's horrific, and I, I don't think it's I horrific. It. I like it. <laughs> I just want to go on record that I am okay with not having debates, and after this conversation, I feel even more comfortable saying that because the things that we're describing aren't really debates anyway. Like that's not really what we want. I, I think that what people want, if you want a spectacle, we've learned from this presidency, you can create a spectacle. Yeah. Um, we know how to do that. If you want information, like there's places get to get information. <laughs> it's siloed. Yeah, it's siloed, unfortunately, but there's places to get information. One interesting thing, though, about what we are saying about what people will agree to, the presidential debates used to be sponsored by the League of Women Voters, which is nonpartisan third party but they gave up on that because of pressure from both sides to dictate the terms of the debate to the point where the league of women voters literally were like fuck all y'all like they made a statement (laughs) where they were like this is a travesty for the american people we're not doing it so they turned on their heel and they walked out the door and then the damn the what did they call the committee on presidential debates which is Mm -hmm. basically just Democrats and Republican coming together. So it's bipartisan. And so like, I think that case means that the debates will never be anything substantial because to get to anything like where we, where we want a moderator with actual balls, where we want a moderator who's fact-checking in real time, the only way we would get that is if the, a third party was putting on the debate. But there's no way that either side would agree to that. They wouldn't agree to it. Yeah. They would never agree to any of it. Um, all right, so let's get rid of the debate. You basically just talked yourself out of a debate. I, but you know what? Coming into this, and be really honest, I had a point of view. I just don't. I just don't think they're useful anymore. I, I watched them both, and I was like, I mean, first of all, I don't like to listen to Trump because all he does is lie. Mm-hmm. So he just was screaming and being generally unpleasant, and then Pence just like also lying, and Kamala Harris like having to sit there and listen to it. It just and at the end, like Fox News says, Pence won. Everyone else said Kamala Harris won. And I, uh, and I was like, okay, great. I heard it was gendered. Women I heard think it was a gendered take on women one. think Harris won and men thought men Pence thought won. men thought um, Pence won. Across, regardless of I think um, actually uh, position Republican or Democrat, oh, and then women thought Kamala won, um, which is you know is what it is. But I guess that, again, it wasn't really about the response. It was about, like, the all of these sort of nonverbal cues. Yeah. I want to say, this is the last thing, then we have to move on. But I want to say, from the candidate's perspective, I don't know why they do this either. This election, like so many elections, is going to come down to, this election in particular is coming down to college-educated whites. College-educated yeah. whites, especially women, that's, because yep. that's who flipped it for Trump. White women, though, because not any other Oh, kind of God, people. obviously. Black women aren't considering voting Republican. But I like mean, college-educated whites, especially women, that's who Trump needs to keep. That's who he's bleeding out, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know why they would agree to this if in any universe it would cause them to lose a single college-educated white voter. And get based on those performances... I mean, unless they are so deluded in the Trump White House 
to think that that would have worked. I, I just don't know why they even show up these debates in the first place. So. I mean, it's one of the rituals that they actually held to. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's kind of a game of chicken. Like, you, at this point, you can't say, well, I don't want to do it because then yeah. you look weak. And then the other one says, well, I was ready to do it. They won't even debate. <laughs> that actually, so, like, that no, actually happened with George Bush, I think, one of them. Is that right? And I mean, so they, Bush and you, Clinton, I think. You can't blink. Like, someone called someone else a chicken. <laughs> remember this? It's from the 90s. Oh, shit. Someone look it up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Let's move on to our second topic, which would be a quick topic. Let's talk about the movie industry, which is something we talk about incessantly on this podcast. Uh, but this, if there was ever a time to talk about it, it's now. So the question we're always asking on this podcast breathlessly is like, oh, what's going to happen to the movie industry? Is this going to change it? Is that going to change it? Well, guess what we're going to ask? Is coronavirus going to change the movie industry? And can it bounce back this time? There were so many question marks even before this, what with digital distribution, increasing production costs, et cetera. But how can the movie industry recover or do they even need to? Because this is my thinking. The, the final things to return in our society are going to be movies, theater, outdoor concerts, indoor concerts, concerts in general. But when they're ready to come back to us, will we even be the same people anymore? Are, are we going to be in the position where that's what we're going to want to do is move into a darkened theater with strangers breathing for three hours? Or would we have moved past that and found different ways to engage our need for those entertainments? Jason, what do you think? My guess is that movie theater industry will be drastically different. I don't think it will completely disappear. My guess is that there will be a few movie theaters in cities and it will be like a big deal when you go. They will have, they will regularly have big events, but they will have big events tailored to different populations, this film festival, that kind of thing. I think, I mean, this is different, but you've seen over the past several years, like bowling alleys have struggled. And so how they dealt with it, they like, they add more event to it. They add more like lots of other glow stuff in the, the dark bowling. bowling. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's what you're going to see with movie theaters. It's going to be many fewer. It'll be a big occasion when you go and they're going to have to really spruce themselves up. Mm. Isn't that a return to the past? I, it, you know, I was thinking that it is right back when you like buy cigarettes at the movie. You know, always what we're saying. Okay. I want to say whenever we bring this up on the podcast, which now this ties as the most frequently talked about thing on the podcast. Uh, movies are our lives. We love it. I mean, we love it. Return to the past, Trisha, is what we're always pitching. We're always pitching that's the way to save movies, to go back to the past, a time when... Oh, I'm not but, saying we should. I'm just saying yeah, that, I'm that not either. that's what Jason's suggesting. Because I was thinking about, if you've ever gone to downtown LA or any downtown, these majestic movie theaters that were abandoned because movies were like these magical things where it was like ornate seats and like these beautiful bathrooms. And they just completely went out of vogue. And then they kind of came back around for like these little edgy groups of people who wanted to like have a different kind of movie experience. Well, and then it, it was a little like more that. scaled down. Like you're talking like the Zigfield. Yeah, like all Alamo. of those fancy like they, theaters. They sort of right? recommissioned re- it. Yeah. Right. Way. Smaller and scale. So yeah. it's funny. I was thinking about it because I'm thinking about how I've seen, um, you know, the, the big industries are delaying some of their big releases, but they released Mulan. Um, um, direct a video and I think that went fine relatively fine there's just this sense of like 
what's going to make it like what's going to give you that big theater experience like mm -hmm. you could do these intimate family dramas that you're doing and send them to netflix or send them to wherever yep. Yep. but the idea around like i was thinking to myself that what you actually want to do is in the meantime just return have a return of the drive-in which we've talked about have a return of the big outdoor public movie theater space I'd say until COVID feels like it's under control, which looks to be what, three to five years out, oh my God. is that might be your substitute movie experience, which is you still feel, feel the need, which is mass release of something that everyone is watching across the country. And it's maybe in parking lots with, you know, like those summer things. We're already seeing a return to the drive-through. They're doing a lot of drive in <laughs> stuff this is the big thing with drag queens now is that they're touring the, the the more famous drag queens are touring parking lots and doing like a whole really experience oh yeah it's a really big deal uh like all the rupaul girls are doing it which is great and i think people like it because it's novel um but i wonder about the experience of that you know there's always been um movies and parks in New York City, which are nice during the summer. The idea of a drive-in though, when drive-ins were popular, the kind of home entertainment that we're used to didn't exist. Yeah. So the question you have to ask yourself is, am I more comfortable listening to a movie through my tinny speakers on my car? Or am I more comfortable at home on my couch watching a big screen? I think the thing about going to a movie theater is that it's a group experience. Are you still having a group experience in a drive-in? Uh, do people still want that group experience entertainment? Now, last time we talked about this, we referenced, I think you referenced Trisha Black Panther, which was a wonderful group experience to be part of. Like I went to see Black Panther with, I'm not lying, 20 other black men. And we had a fantastic time. I don't know what the analog to that looks like in 2023. Jason, tell us the truth. Where well, is the movie industry going? I also, I do think though, there's another dynamic to keep in mind is there's what happens over the next five years and then there's what happens after that. Of course, our economy and our country and our world are going to be, you know, changed irreversibly by the pandemic, but there will be, I mean, if history is any indication where you have a pandemic and then you have a long time without a pandemic, there will be then a point when I think there's not as much paranoia about being in an indoor space. Now that doesn't mean everything that used to exist will, will reemerge. I don't think it, that means that. But so I say that because I think in the next few years, as we've been saying, I think people are not gonna go to movie theaters much. It will just be major events. I think you'll have drive-ins and that kind of thing. Um, but I would say after that, there will be something new that we probably can't even imagine some other way. I mean, even I was thinking when you said what you said, Chris, about like tinny car speakers. Well, you know, that's, if the drive-in is going to become a big institution again, I don't know if it is, but if it is, it's going to include some real, it's going to leverage our technology, right? Yeah. It's going to be on our phones. It's going to be, it's not going to be like it used to be through tinny car speakers. And I, I would guess there will be some new technology that emerges that I can't even think of some more virtual reality type of technology, which is how people experience what we call movies today. You said there's this presumption that, if we get over this hump, there may be like um, a still period. If the climate change prognosticators are right, this is just the start of a tumultuous period, no? 
Well, yes, tumultuous period, but not necessarily period where people aren't indoors all the time. In fact, I mean, I would see these two things as conflicting. I think climate change is going to push us indoors Indoor, more, more while right. the virus is pushing us out. At some point, I think the pandemic, the coronavirus, we will get control of it. It will be similar to other illnesses we've gotten. You know, we've managed much more. And then I think we're going to be in, inside a whole lot because it's going to be so freaking hot. Why do we care about the movie so much? Why do we worry about it going away? There are lots of things that go away that we don't think about very much. And to be fair, movies have only been around for like what, hundred years? Yeah, right. Years? But movies, Just that I mean, we're enamored of it. We are really enamored of it. I mean, it's it's a routine. But, it's but I mean, Patricia makes a good point. Like, think about like vaudeville, minstrel shows. Mm-hmm. Like those were huge. Yeah, big deals. Religious revivals. There are all sorts of things that people gathered to do. And now it seems quaint, archaic, ancient. Yep. Maybe this is just one of those things. Maybe, you know, it's as Steven Spielberg feared. Like Netflix has destroyed the movie industry. I'm being dramatic, but. I mean, I think you are, but I, I mean, I, I go to movies a lot. I used to, but I haven't missed it. I haven't missed it at all, Jason. And I'm a little surprised. I occasionally like because it was such a routine that every couple of weeks go to a movie like I occasionally like, oh, it'd be kind of cool to go go to a movie. But I won't I'm not mourning the loss of it. This will sound very superficial, but it was starting to cost a lot of money to go see a movie. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> and you're a family of six now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Man. I mean, no can, it's like a hundred dollars. And then you got to buy popcorn. Like I mean, doing it at home, it is so much more convenient. You can pause the damn thing. Like, you know yeah. what? That's the ultimate irony if the movie goes out, the movie business goes out with a whimper instead of this big bang that you thought you would. It just maybe just doesn't come back. That's the way anything goes out with a whimper, honest, honestly. You know, but it's been, it's been whimpering for a while. And I it think is. this has been a great moment for Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus. Yes. And they're really, I'm surprised they're still trying to figure out how to capitalize on it. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's just going to go away. Maybe that experience is not as necessary for our society anymore. Unifying group experiences. Although it's funny, that's the theme. That was supposedly what the what the debates offered. Do we not want unifying theme, unifying experiences? Well, we're unifying in different ways now. Like, what do you mean? I mean, we're we're tribalizing. We're not unifying. There's a difference. (laughs) There's a difference. Listen, so, so what? You want us to go back to tribes, Jason? Don't fool yourself. I'm not saying I want to. I'm saying that's what's happening. Don't fool yourself. Like these group experiences that we're discussing from vaudeville to religious reviles to movies to they were also tribal events. Sure. Okay. Sure. So yes. like, let's not pretend like the tribalism thing is new. It's just starker because we hear about it every second of every goddamn day. <laughs> so, but, the, but to go back to the initial question is like, we are coming together. <laughs> we are coming together in different ways like i mean via zoom when was the last time the three of us were in a room together you know and although it would be nice it we have other options you know we yes. do this every week you know and and yeah. there's something to that that maybe we don't need to get together maybe the stress of flying to different corners of the country it's just too much and this 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 works and maybe those are the kinds of things that people be doing like netflix watch parties which is something I just heard of. Sue me, I'm old. What but is like that? Net- Netflix watch parties is like, I think you can do it on the app. Oh God, everyone's like screaming at their device right now. Like grandpa. <laughs> I think you can use it. What's it called? An app? I think this Netflix thing is really about to take <laughs> off. But 
Watch parties is like when like the three of us were like, ooh, let's watch this movie. And we would all watch it together and be on a, like a second screen together or something like that. We we're all watching the same, watching thing the same thing at the same time. Like it's playing out the same time. Maybe there's something to that, you know? I don't know. R.I.P. movies. Great. Now we never have to talk about it again. That was, <laughs> it. That was the last time we're talking about the movie industry on this podcast. So mark it, everyone. Season five, episode three, the end of it. The death of movies. All right. So let's move on to recommendations, which is something you've seen, heard, read, or experienced that you think other people should see, hear, read, or experience. Trisha? Oh my gosh, she started with me. And I said to my sister, I was like, what have I read or seen or done recently? And she's like, aside from the ID channel, I was like, yeah, oh, I don't think I've actually added something new. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I felt really, really bad about that. So I'm going to be really, really bad about it and say that I've actually been retreating back to something I used to do when I was a teenager which is reading really, really um, very slight romance novels that are called Harlequin Presents. They are like, I think, 180 something pages. When I was younger, they'd probably take me like two hours, but now they're just like a snack. So they take me about 40 minutes. Ever since I have the Overdrive app, which allows you to just download books from your library. Mm-hmm. Oh, Overdrive is, it connects you to your public library through your library card. You borrow a book, and then when you download the book, you can read it on your Kindle. And so it's fantastic. So like literally if I'm bored and I don't have anything to do, I go right on the library and I electronically download these books and I go through like five in, I'd say like a half a day if I'm feeling particularly like crazy. I, they're like snacks. I hate to say, but it, they really get me through. They've been around forever. Harlequin Romances. Harle- but these are Harlequin Presents, which is meant to be for the career woman. Oh, I, <laughs> oh, oh, she, she has a job at the secretarial pool. Um, no, not, I, you're horrible. That's a career woman, a secretarial pool. I'm just saying like, I would actually, you know what? I'm going to bookmark there- this because I would love to make this a topic is sort of, the masculinity and femininity presented in romance novels, I oh, find honey, we fascinating whole... and instructive. I think it's really interesting. We, be yeah, great. because we we could talk about Harlot. We could talk about romance novels, love of sheiks. <laughs> God, oh, that swarthy, sexy sheik. <laughs> A lot of money, exotic. Yeah, it, dark, it is. Dark. It's all it's yeah. all the teedy, It's all the cheesy things. Okay. Anyway, that's been keeping me going during the pandemic, y'all. Jason, top that. So I went on Hoopla and I searched for Walter Mosley. I've done many recommendations of his stuff, so I'm sorry to be boring. I know, I know. I found a book of short stories that I had not read. I think it's pretty recent called The Awkward Black Man, which is one of the short stories. And I haven't finished it. I've read about half, but I've read many of the stories. Uh-oh, be careful. No, but but I, I can at least say the stories in the first half are, as usual, fantastic. His writing is so good. Um, it, it's, a little, it's a little sad. It's like a lot of stories of men who just the relationships in their lives, just not good. But it's, it's really good. I'm enjoying it. You love a Walter Mosley. I really do. Does. I think, I, I mean, I feel like I, I shouldn't allow you to keep recommending the same author. Yeah. You gotta break out. 
<laughs> Damn. Damn, yeah, you got to read something new, Jason. That's you know, I'm, I, can I say I'm reading three books at the same time, all very different. You know, this is a book of short stories. One is stamped from the beginning, which I think I'll recommend someday, but I'm t- it's taking me a long time to read it. And then um, The Optimistic Child by Martin Seligman about positive oh. psychology for kids. So I'm reading different things, but the awkward, I mean, I have to like discipline myself not to only read The Awkward Black Man because it's definitely the most kind of seductive book. I am going to recommend an app and website that you might have heard of. It's called Reddit. Oh, uh, stop yourself. No. Why? Yeah, you're going to give me crap about recommending See, Walter <laughs> Mosley, but you're recommending thing, Reddit. Too. You know, it's interesting. I'd like to recommend email. There's this new thing called email. <laughs> no. You can communicate with your well, friends. Well, let me ask you this question. Are either of you on Reddit? No. Well, then no. shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm recommending I mean, something you I should experience. I hate to say it, it's reputation precedes it. That's the thing. You know what? A lot of people, and when I mentioned that I'm on Reddit, a lot of people are like, oh, because <laughs> of all this like nonsense that happened in the past with like the fact that there's all like this stuff on how to make bombs on Reddit, whatever, whatever. But, you know, it harkens back to a conversation we had a long time ago, Tricia, about um, being involved in like what's happening with you locally. Yeah. Reddit is a way to connect with other people who have very specialized interests or affinities. You can get on Mommy. there and find a subreddit of whatever your interest is. They have subreddits on particular shows. I'm sure there's a Walter Mosley subreddit. If not, you could start it, Jason. And right. then people who like this thing, they come and they just comment. And for the most part, like I can't speak for the dark corners of Reddit, just like I can't speak for the dark corners of the internet. But for the most part, it's really above board. I'm in subreddits for all the board games that I like for RuPaul's Drag Race. And there is a community of people on the Reddit. And I bring it up because I'm in the, I live in Astoria, New York, and I'm on the Astoria subreddit. And it is great because like, it's a community of people who live in my community and we're just sharing information. Whenever anyone loses their keys, they go on Reddit. They're like, hey, lost my keys at this intersection. Someone's like, oh, I found them. Like DM me and we'll get it back to you. My friend lost her credit card once and I was just scrolling through Reddit and it's like, hey, I found this credit card. Oh, it was Ashley. Remember Ashley? She was on the podcast last yeah, week. Yeah. Yeah. Ashley I, lost I her credit card. About that episode. I'm scrolling through and someone's like, I found this card, Ashley so-and-so. I was like, I know her. Hold on. Let me call her. I love Reddit. And again, because people have this idea in their mind that, oh, it's bad. It's evil. It's dark. I would recommend that you get on it because whatever you're interested in, like romance novels, I'm sure there's multiple subreddits around that. There's something about Reddit that reminds me of the old school bulletin board, the first introduction to back. And that's what it is. That, you that, just that whole, you I go mean, in, I guess you, in some ways you've been able to hold on to that tradition, which was the idea of just going into a space with people who have all kinds of weird ideas and just talking about it. Not, not even, even weird, weird ideas. It's not yeah. weird ideas. That's the thing. It's not, it's not a marketplace of ideas. It's just, it's just a conversation about one thing. So just one thing that you want to talk about and people will go on and on and on. So I would recommend everyone download Reddit and just try it out. Boom. We got to start the getting these, these, these outlets to pay us for this. Experiment. I'm not even going to do it though. Sorry. What? <laughs> she what just negated that? your recommendation Why? in front of the audience. <laughs> Why would you, you know what everyone, you know no, what, I'm don't get on it. I'm just teasing, but I don't want to, it's like, I'm, I'm sad. I already like was on live journal and live journal went nowhere. <laughs> Reddit's here to stay. And Serena it. Williams' husband runs it. So. No, he left, I think. No. Uh, oh, I think he left to turn the chair over to a black person. 
Yeah. I think there was a lot of... To fix everything. God, that's the right white guy to marry. No offense, Jason. <laughs> I agree. I mean, if you're, if you're if you're gonna cross the race barrier, why would you do it with someone who doesn't have any money? I agree. I tell I tell Abby all the time. What are you What are you doing? What are you doing? Don't tell her too often, because she'd be like, "You're right." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And on that note, everybody, <laughs> bye. Bye. bye.